This episode is hosted by Lee Atchison. Lee Atchison is a software architect, author, and thought leader on cloud computing and application modernization. His most recent book, Architecting for Scale, is an essential resource for technical teams looking to maintain high availability and manage risk in their cloud environments. Lee is the host of his podcast, Modern Digital Business, an engaging and informative podcast produced for people looking to build and grow their digital business with the help of modern applications and processes developed for today's fast-moving business environment. Subscribe at mdb.fm and follow Lee at leeatchison.com. As applications grow in size and complexity, and as they increasingly move to microservice architectures, it becomes harder for individual developers to perform end-to-end tests of an entire application stack. Connecting development services to production services is off-limits. Test environments are limited to automated tests. Staging environments are woefully inadequate with the amount of data available for their use. Testing large and complex applications is becoming harder and harder. SpeedScale provides developers a solution to this problem. SpeedScale assists in developing and testing applications by recreating real-world traffic loads in test and development environments, essentially bringing the data quality of production into the exploratory world of development. Matt Luray is the CTO and co-founder of SpeedScale, and he's my guest today. Matt, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks, Lee. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you have you here. That you know, I've I've been talking to uh, to Nature, one of your co-founders as well too, and uh, um, and he talks a lot about the value of SpeedScale for deployment testing and using production data for for that sort of testing environment. But SpeedScale has a huge benefit in helping developers build and test individual services that are part of a you know a larger you know, microservices that are part of a larger application. But the developer experience. Can you tell me how SpeedScale helps developers during the development process? Yeah. So, uh, first off, a great introduction on SpeedScale, Lee. Uh, I think you do a better job of explaining it than we do. So that so that's great. Um, yeah, so when you come to the developer desktop, um, one of the one of the big challenges as an engineer is always getting getting a set of test data that is that mimics production. And so, you know, what we do is like if you kind of think about writing unit tests, we go through and we take our best guess as engineers. We say, let's let's go and write some unit tests that uh, that simulate you know the number of permutations that we can fit into um, our unit tests or or our imaginations. And so, we kind of uh, with SpeedScale. Um, just to back up a second, um, SpeedScale is essentially a window into the production system. We replicate the data. Uh, you can think of it almost like a, a developer preview environment or an ephemeral environment, but pre-populated with all of your data. So instead of having to replicate every database in the production system, SpeedScale takes a copy of the traffic that it sees and then pretends to be those production systems. So it's it's kind of like a very clever um uh, way of like mimicking what's there without actually having to set up the infrastructure. So if you think about the the, the context of this this new wave of cloud native development, um, you 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 get to a point where you can copy out um, what's happening in production and create a like a full integration test environment on your desktop. So let me get a let me kind of go through a few things that we do with that 
um, you know, even in our own development. So um, naturally, our software never breaks. Um, I've never written a bug. I've heard of other people that have. Um, but me personally, uh, you know, no bugs, obviously. Um, but uh, but if when I'm debugging someone else's bugs, uh, they're just I, new features, right? Is what they are. They're not bugs. They're just uh, unknown yeah. features, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I intended for it to do that. Uh, the screen should be blank right there. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, so one of the things, like, let's say we're we're, we're debugging an application. Uh, so there's kind of like two two big use cases. So the first one is. Um, I am going to first off try to figure out what the heck happened in production that caused this thing to break, caused my service to break, my, you know, what input, what API call, which exact set of query parameters, which exact set of whatever it was caused my software to break. And so the first thing SpeedScale does is we, uh, we allow you to view all the traffic going into your service and then selectively pick out the transactions that broke them and rerun them like a curl command against your local debugger. Or, or any environment you want, even another Kubernetes cluster, QA environment, uh, ephemeral test environment, et cetera. We allow you to go just clip out those, those transactions and replay them so that you can watch it happen in real time. And this is on a service-by-service -service basis you can do this. That's right. Yeah, in, any service in, in your environment. And when I say environment, uh, SpeedScale, we, we started with the new wave stuff, which is Kubernetes. But we also work in pretty much anything you can imagine, like Beanstalk or Docker or virtual machines or, you know, just pr pretty much you name it. We, we have some sort of support for it. So we'll go and clip that out and, and bring it back to the developer desktop. So that's kind of use case one, right, is reproducing those issues. Use case two is actually reproducing the environment itself on the fly without uh, configuration. So... So now you've got you've got your let's say you're running it like a in any debugger even right um, you're going and running your service we can go and we replay the traffic but then we can also clip out all the transactions that were going to downstream systems so let's say you've got one of those you know Death Stars like Netflix where you've got a thousand different microservices all talking to each other um, we will go and say okay during this time period you taught this service talked to five other microservices here's what they talked about. And we'll go and replicate that on the developer desktop so that when the same, uh, same code that you're testing out in your debugger makes those calls, we'll, SpeedScale will be ready and waiting to hand back the correct responses so it thinks it's in a real production system. So those are kind of the two, two big things that we do in the, on the developer desktop. Does it do that with a script? So it says, I'm, I'm expecting this from the service. Now I'll send this as a response and expecting this, sending that. Or does it do it as a... Uh, like a state machine saying, well, if I get this, I'll send this back. But if I get this other thing, I'll send it back. Uh, you, you see the difference I'm saying there? I mean, can can you make changes to your service without just completely redoing the, the, the script if, if uh, the order of calls to services change or something like that happens? That's a good question. So the, so the, the system, we call it a responder, but the service mocking engine um, – our responder goes and uh, it, it runs like a state machine and that it has a pre-planned set of responses. And it's, it's based on the idea of full automation. You know, we sort of subscribe to this Kubernetes idea of um, we don't want to curate individual scripts. We don't want to write scripts. We want to treat it more like um, something that we recorded or, or you programmed um, like through API calls. And, uh, but it can kind of be blown away and rebuilt from scratch. So to answer your question directly, we start from a preset, pre-made you know, set of responses like the state machine, but then it's programmable in the sense of you can say, 
okay, I have this new set of responses I want. Okay, let's make an API call. Let's go and change the responses. Let's add some here. Let's nip tuck and let's, uh, you know, let's, let's curate, um, curate the responses we want. So it's, it's not a script, but it allows you a lot of the flex same flexibility, but it, it acts more like editing a JSON file. Got it. So, so you essentially, you, you record from production to get in the, I hate the word script here, but I'll use the word script. You just put it in air quotes. Okay. Uh, you, you, you record what happened in production to get the script of what went on. And that becomes the starting point for the development environment on your desktop for testing the services, state responses that go with it. But you can adjust that and tweak that and tune that and program it so it does different things at different times if necessary. Am I saying that correctly? No, I think you're saying it perfectly. I'll just add a little bit onto it is, you know, recording and production is is something that's extremely hard and very valuable. So we talk about it a lot. But, you know, there's a lot of easier things we do as well. For instance, uh, if you'd like to start from a Postman collection, you know, because a lot of us develop against the Postman collection uh, or even a Swagger spec or whatever, you know, we'll go import that Postman collection and then we'll use that as the starting point. Or if you want to read a log file, you know, as long as it's some a struct, some sort of structured log, we'll read those. So, you know, we talk about recording and production, but it's really anything you want to give us, we can consume and create the starting point. Got it. Cool, cool. So, so essentially, it's it, we're saying import this. What you're importing is you're creating a JSON file that describes this whole process. It's a it's a your own internal programming language, if you will, for for these scripted mocks or whatever you want to call them. And and it's a JSON file. Is that correct? That's right. It's a it's a, a gigantic in some cases gigantic JSON file. Um, the the only difference, I guess, I, I'm remembering my computer science classes from college now. Is uh, what we're what we do is uh, it's de- it's uh, declarative, I think. Anyway, it's it's we it's not really a programming language. Like it's not like a step by step step set of instructions. It's more like a declaration as opposed to being a script. Okay. you have to go mess with. But yeah, you got the idea. Yeah, I always use the word script in quotes, but it's it's a descriptive word, but it's not a technically accurate word. I, I, I do get that, yeah. Um, but now the the JSON itself, you you can edit the JSON directly, but you provide tools to edit it as well, right? Uh, UI-based tools and things like that, is that correct? Or how yeah. does that work? So if you've ever used a log viewer, um, a like a, one of the real sophisticated log uh, logging tools, like a, you know, a Datadog or an Axiom or a, a Elasticsearch or any of that, you will recognize our interface because um, the things that we we know about, the responses and the, the transactions we know about, we put it into a web interface like that. You can go navigate around. It looks a lot like Postman, um, which is actually a partner of ours as well. Um, so, you know, we'll go through that. When you want to make the edit edits, you can either do it, uh, either do it like through API calls or like command, like a command line tool, or you can actually go and directly edit the JSON file. So, you know, we built all this fancy stuff uh, to to you know give people the ability to click around and move this around and do stuff. And uh, what we found at the end is people actually still love sed, you know, sed the Linux command to do finds and replaces. So you want to you want to go across multi, you know gigs and gigs of uh, of transactions, you can do that, and, and it's actually really easy to do. It's just a big file. So we are talking software developers here, you know. So they like text files, they like <laughs> command line, and yeah, yeah, I. I and I say they, I really mean we. So I, I know what you, <laughs> what that's like. Yeah, it's amazing. I I completely avoid text files and command lines for everything I do. This on programming, but once I start, you know, switching back into developer mode, I'm right there again. And, uh, and everything has to be a command line. Yeah, yeah, you know how all that works. 
Oh, no, I was going to say, it's interesting, you know, that when I first started, well, not first started, but when I was building software in college, the, um, you know, VI and, and Emacs was the big debate, right? And you were, and, but it was the best tools we had, right? It's just what existed. And it's funny as we, as we, you know, bring on more and more engineers at SpeedScale, it seems that that is, that is what everybody's gone back to, or not everybody, but many people have gone back to on the backend side. So what, 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 one of the things we measure when we're going through designs on our software is, do we have to take our hands off the keyboard and touch the mouse or not? Because that is like a key, you know, a key element of developer happiness is if, is if you have to take your hand off the keyboard, then uh, you're going to start irritating engineers now. Right. Don't touch the mouse. Yep. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. And it, in some ways, building uh, user interfaces for developers is easier than it is for, you know, any other class of user because of that, right? I mean, you, you know exactly what they want. You know what they want. And what they want is a simple hands-on you know, they don't mind complex command sequences. They don't, you know, they just want to be able to do everything they want to be able to do quickly and easily. And it doesn't matter if it's complex or not, but it's, it's a, uh, it's a lot harder when you're trying to deal with like, you know, uh, making user interfaces for non-developers, right? Because it's uh there, there's a whole different set of expectations for, for, uh, for them. So in some ways developers are an easier demographic to be, de to be working for. So, you know, along those lines, your primary user is a developer, but is that the only user or are there other classes of users you have and you, and you work with, with your product? Yeah. Uh, so developers, so one of the, one of the observations I've made over the last few years is that, um, engineering leaders don't want to invest in specialized QA teams anymore because the, the perception is that, um, having QA slows you down. And right. that this kind of, you know, it, it became an obsession, like how many releases are you doing per day, per month, you know, and everybody was sitting around kind of comparing that for a long time. And I think it drove everybody to say, you know what, we, we can't really have separate QA testers. And so I think this has actually contributed to developers being unhappy because writing tests is actually really hard and, and figuring out right. how to break software is the opposite of trying to make it work. And it, it's like a different mental model. And so... Um, yeah, a, a lot of the, the folks we interact with day to day are, are developers. Um, I would say there's also a class of larger organization that still must have QA because of various reasons, right? They must have QA. They, you know, they're, they're kind of evolving into what's called an SDET or a software development engineer in test. And so there's sort of an evolution towards, um, you know, SDETs or, or just eliminating QA altogether. So I'd say those are kind of our two sets of folks that we work with the most is engineers and, and SDETs. What we don't do is um, we eliminate a lot of the, the script writing and the, the complexity around maintaining integration test environments. We just get rid of that stuff because we're coming at it from a completely different angle. And so, um, you know, what we, we don't interact as much with just like pure traditional QA engineers that are doing manual testing because what we do is is a lot more uh, it's like it's almost like too simple if that makes a sense it makes sense yeah it does it does so um but but definitely it's the hands-on developer or hands-on test um in, you know depending on the organization that's the primary user they're not um managers it's not um architects it's not higher up in the organization it is the rank and file uh developers that are primarily using your product yes 
Yeah, people. One of our one of our screener questions, um, whenever we would uh, talk to folks, used to be, "When was the last time you used uh, VI or Visual Studio? And when was the last time you ran KubeCuddle uh, or KubeCTL or whatever you want to call it, the the, the <laughs> Kubernetes command line interface?" I know there's a battle around that. So, uh, but you know, those are the people that those are our people, right? Is anybody who is is cranking out code, trying to accelerate delivery, and, and hates writing tests, uh, but is touching a keyboard directly, is is our kind of folks. So you know, if you had to try and generally classify your application into a you know, higher level classification. The, what I come up with is something like production API simulator, but that's a pretty limiting definition. Can you give a better definition of your category of, of where your product fits into the ecosystem? Yeah. So um, this is actually, uh, this is a, complicated question in some ways because the type of category we fit into exists at some of your very, very cloud forward companies. So if you go through and look at um, companies like, you know, um, Facebook or Netflix or, um, or uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, DoorDash or Google, right? You will find in those companies that as they moved on to more of a cloud native architecture, they tried software development. They tried to do pure test and prod. Right, meaning let's only test in production, and then as they sort of created bigger and bigger blast radiuses and uh, found found it very hard to control, letting their customers test their their software, um, they eventually end up building something like SpeedScale. And so you can actually look through a lot of blogs, and, and I did before we started this company. Um, you can see where those companies all essentially evolve into needing a SpeedScale like automated mocking and testing tool that is based upon real user interactions and real uh, microservice uh, behavior. And so that, that class of, of system, we're calling it production simulation engine, you might come and say something slightly different, that it is actually a, um, it is a ephemeral, it creates developer ephemeral environments in the CI-CD pipeline, um, with, uh, but, but actually replicates data. Um, we don't actually compete with a lot of the, the tools that try to replicate your entire production system because that's more of like a deployment problem where they have to copy all the, you know, every database system and every YAML. What we do is actually a lot simpler because we, we just do a little micro environment, right, surrounding your service where we emulate everything it needs. We don't have to emulate the entire environment. So we're not really, you know, purely like a preview or, or ephemeral environment thing, but we kind of solve some of that. Um, so I think that we're, we're in a situation where, as the as as the market emerges, right? As developers learn this sort of new way of uh, you know just in time development, um, we'll we'll get a better definition as time goes by, and we'll get a clearer market definition. Um, but uh, of course, you know we're we're still pretty early days with those things, so we're pretty confident in the approach. But we're going to change the naming around as we move along. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You're you're creating your own category here, or at least you along with a few of the most more forward-leaning forward companies in the space are you're creating a new category here. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the different areas where SpeedScale helps. You know, we, we talk about, um, you know, the developer desktop um, environment where they're building or debugging a service and, and using you as a simulator for everything else, you know, so th there's that, there's that, um, environment there's integration testing that you, that you can be used for there's um so service development integration testing there's pre-deployment validation you're you run a series of tests based on scripted 
uh, or mocked, I should say, real user data before you go into production. What about things like um, at-scale stress testing? Uh, will you help in those sorts of situations, or is that really a stretch for what you're trying to accomplish? No, that's uh, that that type of testing is dead in our strike zone. So, um, uh, so stress testing, you know, comes in a lot of different formats. So one of the one of the simpler forms of stress testing is doing like an APA or HPA for Kubernetes, figuring out how how to size your cluster, you know, for various, right. you know, or, or how to tune your cluster autoscaler. These are things that are pretty typical uses of speed scale. So to just map that out for everybody who isn't doesn't live doesn't live this world every day, um, what'll happen is let's say like you're a big streaming company, um, you'll use some, the speed scale recorder, and it is a a very high volume recorder, right? It can it can grab from lots of different pods at once and pull it all together into one big snapshot. So you go and you'll do this huge recording, and you'll say, okay, this is uh, you know an hour of traffic or half an hour, and then we'll we'll go through and say. SpeedScale has the ability to make 100 users seem like 10,000 users by mo subtly modifying the data. Um, the simple version of this is changing usernames, right? But it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. We'll change unique IDs and we'll kind of zip through and, and uh, move all the data around. And we'll take that, you know, that 1,000 users and make it seem like 10,000, let's say. Then we'll go and they'll, they'll plug in SpeedScale and do run after run in various environments and then compare the performance of those environments using SpeedScale because we produce reports with all the usual graphs. And that'll that'll help them sort of tune their autoscaler, and then that's kind of actually a, a, an interesting first use case for a lot of folks here as they move to the cloud. Is they say, you know, how, or how they move to Kubernetes at least is how much do I need, right? How many, you know, how big could my cluster be? How many nodes should I allow it to scale up with, not bankrupt myself? And so speed scale will give them sort of a realistic sense of of how big things need to get right out of the box. So it's not just stress testing; it's sizing. It's giving sizing information about how to size your production environment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I kind of expanded the definition there. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Um, so you mentioned uh, you you caught yourself at one point and I was you actually hit something I want to talk about. You said uh, uh, cloud, then you switched to Kubernetes. Now, um, you know, I, I imagine the vast majority of your customers are Kubernetes users because they're microservices, they're interconnected microservices. Kubernetes is a great environment for that. But what about cloud? Uh, is are most or all of your customers cloud based, or are some of them on premise or hybrid customers? So it's it's actually splitting up to be more about half and half now. Um, really? Yeah. So Kubernetes. If you listen to, uh, I don't know the latest Dora report from Google, but uh, Kubernetes is, is you know, actually, I don't want to misquote them, but it's something like, you know, half of all large enterprises are using it. It's more than half. I have to go look up the exact statistic, but it, it's an enormous amount. And that's true. But like uh, what we see actually very commonly is there's a lot of companies that are moving from different kinds of cloud uh, native architectures to Kubernetes. And so what that's caused us to do at SpeedScale is just equally support all the environments that, that we encounter. Because the technology doesn't really change much for us. It just gets more or less seamless. Like if you're in full Kubernetes, all you got to do is run one, one annotation and SpeedScale does all its magic. Like it's, it's fully automated. If you go to something like, uh, like EC2, right? Uh, you're going you're gonna to set up a little, you know, you're going to go in the AWS console and you're going you're gonna to set a few things up to reroute the networking or, or whatever, right? It's not hard, but it, it's stuff that needs to be done. And so it's actually about half and half between a variety of different, uh, different environments. One of the things we're seeing actually too is is the rise of things like uh, like OpenShift, 
right? Is it OpenShift? Yeah, the, the Red Hat uh, flavor of Kubernetes. Did I have that right? Yeah, OpenShift, yeah. yeah we're, I, think, we're, I think that's right. Yeah, we're seeing a rise of that because there are folks who are wanting to, you know, run it, wanting to run Kubernetes, but they want to run it in a slightly different way, right? And customize it. Uh, another another one we're seeing more is SpectroCloud, uh, things like that. But so anyway, so I think we're we're living, we're going to be for the foreseeable future living in a a polyglot, you know, technology landscape where Kubernetes is going to take over big chunks of the workload as people move o- move over and try to take advantage of it. But then they'll also learn the limitations of Kubernetes, you know, the areas where it's not as strong. You know, uh, you may remember this, but running databases in Kubernetes used to be just an exercise in pain. Um, yes. <laughs> it still kind of is, but it's getting better and better, you know. So there's still a lot of workloads that you still need to keep out of Kubernetes in one way or another. There's cloud services. So, so yeah, we've kind of fully embraced that. But, you know, when you start a company like SpeedScale and we start out with, um, you know, with nothing, what we're looking for first and foremost is to find find folks who are doing the very cutting edge and we go and make them extremely happy, right? That's, that's you know, we want to make those people super happy. And then as you get bigger and bigger and you pull on more customers, then you start expanding the aperture a little bit. So um, so we've done the same thing here. And so, you know, we've kind of moved out of uh, of Kubernetes and on, into things like, uh, you know, GCP, you know, Google is, is expanding quite a bit. We have customers running in Azure, you know, that, that you know, about Kubernetes, right? They're just running VMs and Windows servers and all that stuff. So we're kind of all over the place. We see all of it. So it's, it's Kubernetes and other cloud environments, but what about on-premise environments? Do you do, are you finding any customers using you in an on-premise environment? Yeah, we have one cu- We have one customer I can think of off the top of my head that is using us in bare metal VMware. Uh, like they have their own servers and they've got, uh, I think vSphere, I don't remember which version, but they're running vSphere on there. And then they have us running as a, you know, running alongside their services and recording. And it's it's a very, very large tech company that, you know, isn't going to modernize on a dime. You know, they've got a lot of variety of stuff. And that's fine with us. You know, VMware is is, is good. I mean, works works great for them. And so we're happy to do it. But for the most part, your customers, if they're not migrated to Kubernetes or not migrated to cloud environments, they're in the process of doing that. They're trying to modernize and using you as a tool to modernize. You're, you're not seeing customers who are staying in the old way of doing things, adopting you. you find, you're finding people who are adopting you are the ones who are trying to modernize and move to modern infrastructures. Is that a fair statement? I think that is, uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, the, um, yeah, they have to have a they have to have a mindset that they would like to automate these things. And usually, when you have an automation mindset, you're going to adopt cloud philosophies, which means you're going to be going that direction. Um, I'm yeah, of, you're right. You're right. That's that's almost an assumption, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. why, why would you be automating if you're not trying to it, trying to? Uh, but what well, I will uh, say, well, I'll do one carve out to what you said though is when you get into things like healthcare and financial services, these are companies that it's not about modernization. They can be they can be hyper modern. I don't know if you've ever seen some of the trading platforms. Uh, I've worked with a number of them. We have a, a big one here, actually in Atlanta, called Intercontinental Exchange. Um, there's New York Stock Exchange. There's all these different trading systems that, over my career, I've, I've talked to, and these folks have hyper modern modern environments. They're they're doing, you know, they care about sub millisecond transaction times, right? Like just the fastest stuff in the world. But they can't go to a public cloud because of regulatory concerns or, or other issues. And so, you know, we're happy to meet those folks there as well. But um, to your point, Lee, you know, those are that's a that's I wouldn't call it a niche because a lot of there's a lot of money made through financial systems, but um, you know it's not it's not what we hear about the most those kind of systems. Yeah, it's it, it's always funny whenever I, I find I do the same sort of thing when we're talking. It's like 
except for a couple of key industries. And those key industries are always healthcare or, or some form of finance or private banking, something in, the, in, in that realm. Those, those two areas seem to always come up. <laughs> you know, all those people with all that money. Yeah, those folks. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all but about 50% of the business. But that's okay, you know. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, this, this is great. So, so how did SpeedScale start? Um, you know, what's, what's the origin of the idea? You're one of the co-founders. Um, it, was, it was the three of you, right? It was, it was um, uh, you, Nate, and uh, Ken, Ken Ahrens, right? Yeah, um, Ken Ahrens, Nate Lee, and me, Matt LeRae. Um, so we were, um, I was actually uh, coming back from California due to some family issues with my, my wife. Uh, she is from Georgia and her family's here and her, um, I won't get into the details, but she wanted to kind of be closer to family through this next stretch. And I was thinking, okay, so what do I want to do next, right? My background, a lot of my background was in monitoring. And so I'll tell the story from my, from my perspective. Um, so monitoring is a very mature space, right? Um, observability is what we call it today, which is, you know, an expansion of, of monitoring. Um, We've you know, both been in that space for a long time. So exactly. Yes. <laughs> you, you know exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, you have some really uh, great companies in there, you know, the data dogs and new relics and uh, my last company. And, you know, you got all kinds of folks working on that space. And, you know, my kind of view is that um, as a startup starting outside of the Bay Area, I, I, I felt like that, that area is well served. Right. There's a lot of companies that are thinking hard on that and, and innovating there. And so what can we do to kind of turn the industry on its head a little bit in our little corner of it? So I started talking to Nate and Ken, and both of them had worked at this really cool company called ITKO way back when. And ITKO was was purchased by a big company called CA, where it was kind of uh, you know, re, re uh retasked towards older technology. Um, so it didn't, you know, kind of it's doing its thing or or whatever, right? And um uh, and so I said, you know, but the idea was basically, hey, let's let's not build service mocks. Let's go and generate them from other data sources. Now, ITKO was, you know, it was limited by its era, right? And in the era of ITKO, you know, they had um, a lot of great ideas, but you couldn't just do something like in Kubernetes where you reroute the networking. That wasn't really possible. You most protocols like wire protocols, you know, networking protocols were closed source, like you know, Oracle databases, things like that. So you couldn't really decode, you know, things with high fidelity. But if you fast forward to 2020, when we started SpeedScale, you know, most protocols that are heavily in use are going to either be some sort of variant of HTTP and JSON, or they're going to have an open source library that you can go and, you know, use to decode them. And so the recording problem, you know, couple that with like Kubernetes dynamic software defined networking, it's like a lot easier, right? Then we kind of said, okay, my background, you know, I had worked with uh, a cloud data warehousing company, um, and I kind of had gotten an idea of that that new approach, right, to handling massive data sets. They said, "Wait a minute, the the rules around big data, like like how big data systems are built, are like totally different than they were five years ago. The compute costs, the ingest costs, everything is upside down now. It used to be really expensive, now it's really cheap, right? And then you know, uh, so you know, we kind of put those two things together and said, you know, let's go and let's let's take a crack at this." And so we started the company in 2020, uh, early 2020. We went through Y Combinator in their first uh, remote batch. Um, we actually um, we actually went through their startup school because uh, so if you're ever going to start a company, uh, do it with people that you love to argue with because you're going to argue a lot. So you must you might as well love doing it, right? Uh, do what you love. So we said, okay, if we're going to argue about all this, let's argue with Y Combinator instead of each other. So we signed up for this thing called uh, uh, it's called a uh, startup school. 
online, which I highly recommend to any, any other startup founder. They go and they teach you all the ropes of like how a company is built. You know, what are the basic things that, you know, you don't really want to innovate on things like uh, setting up uh, setting up an S-corp or something. Like th- these are all just basic legal things. So, you know, Y Combinator walked it through us. And as part of that, uh, it turned out that we were kind of highly ranked amongst our peers. And Y Combinator asked us if we wanted to apply. We did. We were fortunate enough to, to get in and have some great mentors, you know, went through that. And then we started collecting some of our big enterprise customers, uh, you know, figuring out exactly what they needed, how this thing should be shaped. So we kind of went through 2020 and a piece of 2021, figuring that out. And then uh, we brought it to market and, you know, the rest is sort of history. Cool. Cool. And where are you based right now? So our, our core team is in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Yeah. And before that I was in, I was just South of San Francisco uh, right before uh, the right. pandemic hit. Cool. Cool. So what's next for, uh, for speed scale? So, so glad you asked. Um, so we are, um, we seem to have figured out the shape of our product somewhat. Uh, it's, it's helpful to people in, in, so what people do is they'll take SpeedScale and they'll put it into their CI/CD pipeline to do continuous validation. They'll do things like stress testing with, you know, like nightly builds. They'll do stress testing against it. They'll have individual, um, uh, every time a, uh, you know, an MR is built, they'll go and run like common scenarios recorded from production against that. So that's we're started we're you know adding more and more customers doing that but the more exciting thing for this audience is we are getting ready to release a free version of our product that is perpetually free and that what what we really want to do is take some of the learnings that we've that we've paid for in blood <laughs> frankly you know over the last uh, you know couple of years you know figuring all this stuff out and we want to make it accessible to to everybody who is you know is just trying to dip their toes into it and so we're we're figuring out the shape of that free product right now. So hopefully we can start to contribute back and and um, help people with their day to day. And of course, you know we are running a company, so you know as things grow, we we naturally want them to come to us as the need as their needs grow, and you know as they uh, get more teams involved and et cetera, et cetera. But we want to make it easy for people to just uh, get value out of of what we've learned, um, you know, without uh, not having to make a big investment. So that's kind of the next big thing for us is is a, a quote unquote free tier. As an makes sense, makes sense. So, if, if people want to find out more about you, what do they do? So, uh, the easiest thing to do is go to speedscale.com, and you can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter and, and all those places. If you really want to learn about it, uh, we would love to learn from you as well. So, um, I, what I would do is go to slack.speedscale.com and join our Slack community, and then uh, you can go and talk to the founders directly. and. Uh, tell us, tell us what we missed. Tell us what, uh, what ideas you have. And, uh, you know, we would, we would love to connect and, uh, and sort of, you know, develop the space together. Cool. Great. Thank you. Thank you. My guest today was Matt Larray, the CTO and co-founder of SpeedScale. Matt, thank you for being my guest on Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me, Lee.